Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. Uh, yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be finding your way to the book of Philippians. Uh, it feels really funny for me to be able to say that because the first almost a year uh, that we were a church, we walked verse by verse through the book of Philippians. So you can already hear the kids are excited that we're going to be back in Philippians. It's their favorite book of the Bible. Um, but something that we do here at the branch is something called expositional preaching. We typically go uh, line by line, verse by verse through teaching. So today is going to be a bit of a curveball for you guys. Uh, we're still going to exposit scripture. Uh, we're going to look at it in depth. We're going to look at uh, a lot of the rich and the joy uh, that comes with looking at the scriptures in depth, but we're going to do it in one verse. Sound good? Sound like a curveball? Philippians 4, 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be continuing this Kingdom Come series. This is our series on Advent that we just take a moment, about four weeks out of uh, every calendar year around this time, to celebrate Advent. Church history celebrates Advent, if you remember, comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. Uh, what we're doing during Advent is we're celebrating Advent. Uh, the coming of Christ. But what we do in that, and I think we'll have it on the screen for you here, is that we're doing that by remembering his first coming and anticipating his second coming. So we did this in week one as we saw that Jesus was our hope. We did this in week two as we saw that Jesus is our peace. Uh, I don't know if you guys see a trend, but what we're going to talk about today is Jesus is our joy. We may not sound very creative here. Uh, it's because we're not because we believe scripture says it, so we don't have to be creative. Uh, so this morning, we're talking about a simple truth uh, that will have a profound impact on your life, if you can really, really genuinely grasp this, uh, is that Christ is your joy. So I know many of us coming in this room, just from talking to you guys, don't have the joy like those kids having, just being able to run in a circle, just because they are happy. Some of you guys uh, really may be going through seasons of dryness, of melancholiness, of, of wondering what joy uh, uh, would be like to feel on a consistent basis. Uh, because you see that this is supposedly supposed to be the most joyous time of year, but for many of us it's really not. Uh, and we'll get into some defining terms here when we talk about joy, of what it is and what it's not here in just a moment. But parents, if you remember I said at the beginning, this is going to be, we're going to have this question here for you on the screen. So, hey, KK, James, John, if you guys want to come in, we're going to have a question here. You guys want to see a question? Yeah, okay. We're going we're gonna to have it here for you on the screen. Look at that perfect timing, catching them. Um, so, parents, we'll have it uh, here for you on the screen. I think, Ash, uh, you put it up there. So, kids, this is the question for today. You know, like when you have your, your, your kids' time question where all your teachers ask you a question? This is a good question. I'm going to ask you this question later in the sermon, Okay. You ready? I see KK. She's bouncing that head. She, she's ready. So when can you have joy? When can you have joy? Billy already knows this answer. It's every day if Jesus has changed my heart. So later, if you guys remember, I'm going to ask this question. When can you have joy? Every day if Jesus has changed my heart. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Uh, getting that question uh, and that answer for the kids to put it in simplest forms as possible was one of the most difficult things about prepping for this, this entire sermon because taking such a profound truth, like we said, that's really simple, but putting in a term so easy a child can understand, uh, I think we could learn a lot ourselves from that answer and that question there. 
But many of you guys uh, may not have that joy. So like I said, many of us may be struggling with this joy, struggling with feeling uh, if we are truly content in Christ. Uh, so the question we're gonna be asking ourselves this morning, uh, I thought that would be the most beneficial question as we're hoping to remember Christ and we're hoping to be joyful, is this question we'll have for you on the screen here, is why do I lack joy? Why do I lack joy? So many of you guys may know that you lack joy, but the question, I don't know if you guys have ever followed up if, is, is why do I lack joy? Because if, if we just answer that question there, things that can happen like that can rob you of joy, of circumstances of, of falling or circumstances of your life seemingly falling apart can make you feel like you lack joy. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at Philippians 4.4 and uh, hope to answer that question as we look to scripture. So Father, thank you. Thank you that we can approach your word this morning. Thank you that although our circumstances in our life may not be what we want them to be, even in this period of time, God, that we can have an abounding joy in you. God, as we've just studied over the course of this series of that how you are our peace, you are our hope, God, uh, the simple truth this morning is that you are our joy. So God, I just pray that through your word this morning, even as the simple truth of this one verse, that you would give us a clear lens to understand that this morning of why we lack joy and why it can only be found in you. So Father, I pray that you would already encourage hearts, that you would convict us where we need to be, challenge us, instruct us, you would exhort us and comfort us this morning through your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. So like I said, when we went through Philippians, um, like if you guys just take a look at my Bible here, uh, I kind of uh, highlight as I teach uh, but Philippians 4, 4 just happened to be a section that I did not teach on. So it was really fun for me to be able to teach on this verse as I wasn't able to teach on it before. But like we said, uh, Philippians is actually one of the most joyous books in all of Scripture. So let me say that again if you missed that, that Philippians is one of the most joyous books in all of Scripture. Uh, and it's not because things were going well for the church at Philippi. Remember that Paul was in prison. Remember Timothy was sent away. Remember one of their church leaders, leaders, Epaphroditus, was sent to Paul and Timothy, and he was sick and almost died. Remember that there's strife within the church of Euodia uh, and Sintuhe were fighting. Remember that there were uh, false teachers arising up in the church, but it's still one of the most joyous books in Scripture because of all the richness of what Paul has to say about joy. So what we're going to see in this, this verse this morning, I just want us to understand the surrounding context. When Paul is saying that we have every reason to rejoice, uh, it's not as if, though, he's saying it's circumstantial. So let's look. The first thing we're going to see in Scripture, if you're taking notes here, is that rejoicing is commanded of us. Rejoicing is commanded of us. We see in verse 4, as we start, it says, rejoice. Notice that this is a, a command. Paul is instructing the church at Philippi here to to seek to do something, not just feel something. So when we said that we're gonna define terms at the beginning here, uh, this is a command to rejoice, not be joyful. So if you're taking notes here, we're gonna have this for you on the screen. Let's define terms at the outset, that joy is a noun. It's a state of being. But rejoice is a verb, it's an action. 
So uh, joy, true abiding joy, is a state of being despite whatever may be happening in your life, but rejoice is a verb. It's something that you're called to do. So as we're seeking to have joy in our life, as we're saying, uh, why do I lack joy? Why do I lack joy? What we first must draw our attention here to uh, is, are we rejoicing? So we ask that question, we'll have this for you on the screen. Why do I lack joy? You may be asking yourself that. If I have Christ, why do I still lack joy? Maybe you aren't feeling the emotional state of joy because you aren't obeying the biblical command to rejoice. I'll say that again. Maybe you aren't feeling the emotional state of joy because you aren't obeying the biblical command to rejoice. You see, there exists a deep connection between our relationship and our state of joy and obedience. Our state of joy and obedience. Our joy is often found on the other side of obedience. If you've been in our missional community, we said this as we were hoping to go out and live on mission, hoping to go and share the gospel, that sometimes we're saying, why do we need to do more if I'm just not feeling good, if I'm, if I'm in this valley, if, I'm, if my life is seemingly falling apart? And what we got to the bottom of and what we realized is as we go and do the things the Lord has commanded of us, there exists a joy, not a joy because we're earning something, but it's a joy because we already have God's love. Let me prove that to you. John 15, 10 through 11 would say this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we see the commandments here and we see this love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Notice the connection between love and obedience. We'll see that how this flows. We've got uh, this flow chart right here that we'll put on. You see that his love, because he loves us, leads to our obedience. We don't, we don't obey in order to earn God's love, but because he loves us, we obey. And then what we see springing from that is his love and our obedience lead to our joy. I love how God has designed this. So when we're talking about joy and we're talking about obedience, we're talking about rejoicing, at the outset, what we've got to see is that uh, obeying God's law, obeying God's command is not something that should uh, be a burden to us, but it should be a joy to us. What we see here uh, that John Piper would say so beautifully here in this quote is there, you can't have one without the other. He's saying, somebody asked me one time, should you pursue joy or should you pursue obedience? And I said, that is like saying, should you pursue apples or should you pursue fruit? Because as you obey, you are pursuing joy. And so obedience and joy can't be contrasted like that. So this morning, if you're lacking joy, I pray that you would really see that rejoicing is something that you're called to do, even when you maybe don't feel like it. Maybe even when things are difficult, Maybe even when you can't call to mind the reasons you have to rejoice. You see, the commandments are not to rob us of joy, but it's in the realm by which we experience joy. Have you ever thought about God has designed all of his laws for you to, to glorify him? Yes, but also so that way your life will be full of joy. As Jesus said, that my joy may be in you, my joy may be complete. Now, this is difficult for us to do, right, to obey uh, God's laws and his commands because it's difficult to kill sin. It's difficult to obey God's law when it feels like everything's falling apart around you. But just know there's grace in this fight. Know that as you're striving to seek for joy that we don't have to walk around with our heads hung low because Christ is our joy. Notice what Jesus said there in John 15, that my joy may be in you. It's his joy that we're, we're searching after. It's his joy that we're looking for. 
I would say to some of you guys, keep going in this pursuit. Some of you guys don't need to grow weary in this pursuit of joy, in this pursuit of rejoicing, because I know how difficult it may be in life to constantly rejoice. Because sometimes everything is causing us to feel like there's no reason for us to have hope. There's no reason for us to have joy. Your only joy is found in Christ, believer. So the the first thing we saw was this command to rejoice. And this just feels like this heavy-handed command. If we're not careful, we don't continue reading, if we don't read in context. Because the second thing we see is the object of our rejoicing. The object of our rejoicing. Notice verse 4, it continues by saying, Rejoice in who? What does it say? In the Lord. Paul is instructing the Philippians here that there is a correct object of the rejoicing, and that's in the Lord. So you're rejoicing, uh, if you're feeling like your rejoicing can be fickle or, or hollow or cheap, uh, as so many people in this time of season are rejoicing in uh, good things, right? Family, we get to rejoice that we're getting to spend time with family. But ultimately, that's not an ultimate thing. People can rejoice in this period of time as you get presents or you get gifts, but that's not an ultimate thing. Our rejoicing is designed to be rejoice in the Lord. If you notice even in the word there, it's rejoice. It means to return joy. So you see that the word insinuates that joy has been given to us. Like, let me prove this to you. You see that joy is not found even within ourselves. We talked about joy as being a state of being. We see that joy is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 would say this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And it would continue on to go down that list of the fruit of the Spirit. So joy is is something that you're called to rejoice in. As joy has been given to you by the Holy Spirit, you rejoice and you rejoice in the Lord. You see that, number one, the Holy Spirit is the source of our joy, but the second thing that we see is that Jesus, as we read there in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So one thing what you need to hear this morning is if you're looking for joy, you can have joy like the world can't have joy. The world can have joy as it rejoices in relationships, as it rejoices in financial stability, as it rejoices in children, as it rejoices in all so many other things. But if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus, so you have a joy that is alien to you. You have a joy that doesn't birth within yourself. That's why it's a state of being, because it's given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's given to you by Jesus, and that your joy may be full. And it's not a uh, half-hearted giving. That joy is a fullness of joy that the Lord gives you. And we're called to, it's a beautiful picture. I just uh, imagine as the Lord uh, in heaven is seeing us as his children and he's giving to us through his Holy Spirit, his joy. And what we're called to do is rejoice. That's why that commandment that we just read is not a heavy handed commandment. It's what's best for you as you rejoice. As you've been given joy, you obediently rejoice in the Lord because it's what's best for you. It's what glorifies God and Honestly, the part our flesh doesn't like to hear, it's, it's been commanded, and the holy and just God has told you to do so. But not because he's mean or heavy-handed, but because it's what's best for you. If you've been given joy by the Lord, your best, most practical thing you can do is to worship him for it. It's a grace given to you. So joy, if you're saying that you lack joy this morning, at the outset, let me tell you, if you're a brother and sister in Christ, you do not lack joy. It is a state of being that is secure, not in of yourself, but secure as Christ secured it for you on Calvary. 
as he secured it for you, as he sent his Holy Spirit to give you a new heart, that joy is constant and abiding because of that. So this is what we're saying this morning. You may be asking yourself the question, uh, how do I rejoice in the Lord? Why do I even do this? Why do I rejoice in the Lord? It's because of what he's done for you. This is the point of this Kingdom Come series, of that Christ is your joy, that Christ came and will come again one day. First Peter 1, 8 through 9 would say it this way. Peter, an apostle, a man who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, a man who listened to the teachings of Christ that we read in the Lord's Supper this morning as we confess who Christ is. Peter conf- confessed him to be Christ the Lord, the anointed one, the Savior, and the Messiah. He says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice that both words are in there, joy and rejoice. Notice it says that we rejoice with joy. We rejoice with joy with joy. Can you say that you rejoice with joy? You are uh, giving back to God a gratitude by which he has given you a state of security, and ultimately what it leads to is your salvation. So when we're asking, why do you have a reason to be joyful this morning? Like we said, this is a simple truth, but a profound one. Your reason to rejoice this morning is because you have been saved if you're in Christ. And if any of you guys are thinking, oh, that's, that's good, that's great, I, I know that, I ask you to stop for a moment and to think. The reason why joy can exist is because there was hopelessness before. Many of us have grown cold to the truth that our souls, although they don't deserve it, although we couldn't earn it, have been saved. The second you think you have got the gospel figured out is the second that your heart has grown hardened to the beauty that comes from knowing Christ. Because this is our all in all. This is why we stop and we, this is the heartbeat of the gospel. This is the core, the crux, crux of our Christianity. This is why our early church father, Augustine, in the uh, later part of the fourth century would say this. He says, you yourself are their joy, speaking of Christ. This is the happy life, and this alone, to rejoice in you, about you, and because of you. That is the life of happiness, and it is not found anywhere else. Anything else. Our joy is in Christ. He is our joy. That's why we rejoice in the Lord because of what the Lord has done. We rejoice in him, about him, what he's done, who he is. This is why we read his word. This is why we set our mind on him constantly. This is why we come together in this fellowship because your heart needs it. Your heart is wicked and you can't trust it. It, it's, It's just a fickle and shallow, shallow thing. What it needs more than anything else is to be renewed by the word of God as you rejoice in what he's done for you. So we're asking that question, why do you lack joy? Maybe the reason this morning why you lack joy is because you continually rejoice in shallow, fleeting things rather than realizing that joy is only found in loving Christ for his grace towards you. The only way you will have an abiding joy is if you constantly set your mind 
on Christ's love towards you and his grace towards you. And what we're not talking about is this Jesus' love, the excusing of, of maybe God in the Old Testament or excusing of God and his justice and his wrath. The only way for you to really truly have joy is to see that you deserve God's wrath, that you deserved hell and eternity apart from God, but his love toward you and his grace toward you and your rebellion towards him is the reason you rejoice. You, don't, you won't have an, a deep and abiding amount of joy in your heart if you don't have an accurate view of your heart. You won't have a deep abiding joy in salvation if you don't see the great depths and the great cost it caused God to go and purchase your salvation. Your joy will just be another bumper sticker you put on your car because you think it looks cool. It'll just be something else on an application you just check a box. It'll be Christianity. It'll be a religion. It'll be something that you say that you believe in but your heart is far from. When storms and trials come, you'll be like a shallow-rooted plant. This wind will scorch and blow away. That's why you've got to be rooted in Christ. It's the only thing that will satisfy your soul. It's the only thing that will bring true, abiding joy. Because Christ's grace towards you is the only way to overcome your propensity towards melancholiness. If you find yourself in a constant state of being down, and you, if you were to look at the course of your life, and maybe if you journal, you can see this, uh, there's times where you're on, riding these emotional highs, and there's times where you have these valleys. But true abiding joy, in every height, in every stormy gale, your anchor holds within the veil. That is Christ, and if you don't have all of your joy set on him and his salvation for your soul, you will constantly ride that roller coaster ride of emotions. Because remember that joy is a state of being, but rejoicing is an action, it's a verb, something you're called to do. So some of you guys need to keep on going in this fight. Some of you need to keep on placing your hope every morning in Christ. Some of you guys need to rejoice again in your Savior. Some of you guys need to just be reminded this morning that what you're doing, it may feel like is just waking up every morning and trying to put your joy in Christ and it just sometimes feels so difficult and you feel dry and shallow and you wonder if that's you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing and if there's anything else you could be doing differently. Just like hear me from, as your pastor, just set your hope in Christ, set your joy in Christ daily. You're doing the right thing. And I promise you with time from God's word that as you rejoice in the Lord, that joy will be abiding because it will be his joy and it'll be the joy from the spirit. Keep going. So the first thing we saw was this command to, uh, to rejoice. The second thing we saw here as we looked at the text was the object of our joy being Christ. The third thing is that we're gonna see is that our rejoicing is not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. We've talked about this and we've danced around this topic at bits this morning. Because read along with me here. We see this is so true. Verse four continues by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, 
I don't know how many of you guys have heard these types of sermons saying joy is, is a state of being. It's, you know, you can't always just tell someone to rejoice. You can't always just be happy, but you can be joyful. Scripture would say that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. It's an action. It's a call of something that we can do always because it's not circumstantial. You see that Paul is encouraging the Philippians that there is no situation that they cannot have joy in Christ. There's no situation in your life that you cannot have joy in Christ. If you're in Christ, A, it has already been given to you because it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given it to you, not as the world has given to you, but also in the middle of your circumstances you can. So you may be asking this morning, why do I lack joy? I would say maybe it's because you can only rejoice when you get to dictate your circumstances rather than seeing that joy often is a close friend with adversity. Many of us want to dictate our circumstances in our life, and that's the only way that we rejoice in the Lord, the only way we'll give thanks, the only way we'll be happy, the only way that we can say thank you, the only way that we can walk around with our heads held high as believers is if we get to dictate our circumstances. And friend, that is idolatry. That is a root of self-control that you are not yielding to the Spirit, but you are wanting to control your circumstances. And what that ultimately says is, God, I know better than you. You, that I will not rejoice in what you have given me because this you have withheld from me. And even as we are faced with adversity, we don't look at our circumstances as God-ordained circumstances. We look at them as hurdles to jump over. So the reason why we can have joy, abiding joy, is because Christ has led you into every circumstance. Whatever is happening in your life that you may feel like is robbing you of joy, it may feel like it's the enemy of your soul, it is the friend who sticks closer than a brother who led you there. You can rejoice. Scripture says this, man. Some of you guys just need to believe that this morning. You know that. If I were to sit down and have coffee with you, you could say that. You might even be able to point to Scripture. But does your life reflect that truth? Does your life reflect that? Because you see that the Philippians knew this. Paul wrote these very words as his hands were in chains. This is coming from a man who said that he had multiple beatings. He uses the word multiple because he's lost count of how many times. Do you think those circumstances are going the way he wants? What about the church at Philippi when they're not having any leaders? What if this church was only held together by me and if I was gone, how would you guys feel? You would feel like there's a height and a stormy gale happening in this, this church body. What if there was so much strife and division that you didn't even want to come into this church building because you know someone's going to be gossiping about you? That's what's happening in this church at Philippi. And he's saying here, and he's saying to that church, and he by default, the Spirit is saying to us this morning as disciples that our rejoicing is not circumstantial because we can rejoice even when we're in need. Many of you in this room are in need of something, in need of rejuvenation of your faith, in need of financial security, in need of a, a relationship. You feel like you're lonely. You feel like you don't have anything. There's so much need in this room. What scripture would say to that is in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18, why you can rejoice in all of your circumstances. Habakkuk would say, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. They rejoice. They will actively rejoice, even though their circumstances of everything they need is not there. They have no cattle. They have no food, no way of eating, no way of providing. But yet they will rejoice in the joy of the Lord, their salvation. If the only thing that you have to rejoice in is that God has saved your soul, I would say you're not lacking. I say you have abundance. That is the joy that will come as the state of being is given to you by the Lord. You see that we have reason to rejoice even in all of our circumstances, even if you're in persecution, even if you're going to share your faith and someone spits in your face, even if someone calls you a name, even if someone's not outwardly persecuting you, but you know inwardly they're judging you, you can rejoice. Why? Matthew 5, 11 through 12. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount speaking. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I would go on to say as Stephen lists out his great sermon in the book of Acts that they uh, not only persecuted the prophets, but they persecuted the prophet Christ and crucified him. If they crucified your Savior, are you living a life by which you crucify your desires daily? You take up your cross and you follow him daily. Even in the middle of your persecution, you have reason to rejoice. Why? Why does Jesus say we have reason to rejoice? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. What is your reward in heaven save for Christ himself? The joy that you may be looking for here on earth does not come with storing up treasures, doesn't come with a great job, doesn't come with a a great car, doesn't come with nice clothes, doesn't come with a nice padded retirement account or a 401k or the next job or anything else. Those rewards are shallow and they will pass away as you pass away. And everything you own will be given to a a junk store or a thrift store, and even the things you leave as heirlooms. Many of you guys know this is true. Some of your grandparent stuff, the only thing you may have is a pocket watch or a pitcher. Everything you have is nothing compared to the reward you have in heaven, and that reward you have in heaven is Christ. He is your joy. So this joy is an anticipation, like we said, as his kingdom has come. We're looking for the fullness, the complete, you'll be able to wrap your arms around it as you are able to wrap your arms around a friend. It'll be that type of realness of joy as his kingdom comes in his second coming, but it doesn't mean you can't have that type of joy now in part and in shadow because he is king, he is conquered, he is overcome, and your trials and your circumstances have been ordained by a good king, not a bad king. Not a king who doesn't care about you, but a king who died for you. Your circumstances are God-ordained. The mark of a Christian is not the lack of adversity, but how they respond to that adversity. That is a mark of a Christian. Joy, again, is a state of being, but it's not circumstantial. Be comforted, Christian, in the middle of your persecution, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your circumstances, because even in this dark season, Christ is your constant joy. 
You have but to take up his word and be reminded. You have but to call to mind scripture. You have but to join in this fellowship and be reminded to a brother and sister that Christ is your joy. You have but in those middle of darkness, like I felt this week. Let me just be gut level honest with you. I felt down and discouraged at the earlier part of this week and I was honest with Bailey. I texted him and told him, man, be praying for me. I'm feeling down and discouraged. And you know what he did? He didn't give me some cheap quote or anecdote. He said that Christ is enough. He is your joy. And you know what? When we said earlier that joy is found on the other side of obedience, let me prove it to you. Because it's true at least in, in, in my own life. You can ask Jordan this. Before we, we go out on Thursday nights, we always pray before we evangelize. And I just was honest with him. I told him, man, I'm, I'm down. If you're, if you're sensing anything in me, I'm just feeling discouraged. And he asked me, he said, you know, we don't have to necessarily do this tonight or we don't have to do it as often. And uh, I said, no, I, I said this the same thing to my wife. My wife prayed for me before I went out because I was honest with her as well. And he said that she encouraged me to go and he encouraged me to get out of the car and go. And I tell you what, man, not even after the first conversation that we had, I was able to look at Jordan and say, all that's gone. You know why? Because the abiding joy of being able to tell the world about what the Savior has done for me reminded me of my joy. It was not in all the other stuff I was thinking about, but my soul was secure and I was able to tell other people about it. That is what true abiding joy looks like. Because if you're going through trials in your life, don't forget Christ went through them first. And what the author of Hebrews would say that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame and he has sat down at the right hand of the Father on high with his work accomplished. It was a joy for Christ to go through tribulation because it purchased you security and eternity today, tomorrow, and forever. It's true abiding joy. And I love how Verse four ends. So we saw this command, we saw the object of our, of our rejoicing. We saw that it's not circumstantial, but I love how Paul as a good shepherd ends here. He, he ends with the imperative of rejoicing. The imperative of rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul here is re-emphasizing his command as a faithful shepherd. He does this to stress the importance and urgency of this command because he knows that rejoicing in the Lord is exactly what your storm-tossed soul needs. He re-emphasizes it because it's exactly what it needs. He's a, an apt shepherd. As a shepherd would go out into their flock and he would, the shepherd would see if there's a disease in that flock and if what's ailing them, if they need food, if they need water, if their fur needs to be maintained, he would look and see. And what Paul is doing is he's looking and seeing what that church needs at Philippi. What they need more than anything is to rejoice. As I look at many of you guys and I have conversations with many of you guys, what many of you need to do is rejoice. It'll pull you out of any headspace. It'll pull you out of any melancholiness as you're reminded what Christ has done for you. So we were asking this question this morning, is why do I lack joy? Maybe it's because you underestimate your soul's need to rejoice in the Lord, and you're neglecting that simple truth robs your soul of the blissful state of joy. We're neglecting a simple truth. You neglect the simple truth to rejoice, and it robs your soul of the state of joy. 
because you, you forget. As we rejoice, we call to mind all the reasons we have to be joyful. So I would call you guys to remember that. So what do we do here? You guys may be looking for practical steps as, as we go out this week as Christ is our joy, and yes, I'm called to rejoice. Yes, I'm to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, yes, I'm to do it always. But how do I do this? What's boots on the ground? What's some real practical ways I can do this? Uh, what I would say is verse five, as Billy is so excited about what's about to happen, eager anticipation. He's just gonna be a pastor one day. He's getting ready for it. So read with me in verse five. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. So the first thing I would say to you is be reasonable. Be able to reason. Be reasonable. What, what Paul is meaning here is he's, he's meaning this. So maybe write this down. Anchor, anchor your joy in the reliability of Christ, even in seemingly impossible situations. So if people looked at your life <laughs> and they saw all, I, I can't even keep going as a door completely just <laughs> fell off the hinges. It would not be reasonable for me to continue and act as if though that didn't happen. But if I have your guys' attention here for just a second, what Paul is saying here as we're being reasonable is would the world be able to look at you and say that their life may be crazy, but there is something about them that is anchored. They are rooted. They're level-headed. Would they be able to look at you and say that that it's not because of you, but you're rooted in Christ. When someone said, man, I don't know how you're doing it right now. I don't know how you're maintaining having 15 kids. I don't know how you're managing it with all your school and all your grades. I don't know how you're managing it. Uh, would they be able to look at you and see a reasonableness that says it's only because of the Lord? So the second thing as you go out, first thing is be reasonable. Second thing is be mindful. Because as verse five ends, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand at hand, literally meaning as close to you as I am to you. He's at hand. As scripture would say, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That God is at hand. So be mindful. Remember Christ is present with you today and anticipate his coming and joy will birth in your soul. Remember and anticipate and joy will birth in your soul. So be mindful of this. So what does this mean? That means go out. If you need to write it on a note card and stick it on your dash of your car, if you need to put it on your mirror uh, every morning so you can see that the Lord is at hand, the Lord is with you. If you need to put it as the screensaver on your laptop, if you need to put it on the background on your phone, whatever it is, constantly call to mind that Christ is at hand. You're not alone in this, that he is your joy and nothing else will satisfy. So if any of us in this room do not know this joy, when we ask that question of how, why do I lack joy, I would say that sin, sin is a primary culprit. Whether you're in Christ or not, sin can rob you of joy in Christ, but if you are not in Christ, if you can't say that he has died and saved your soul, the reason you can't rejoice because you can't rejoice as a believer can rejoice. You can't rejoice as a Christian can rejoice because joy has been given to believers by the Spirit. So the first thing we would call for you to do is to repent of sin, and the second would be uh, very, very uh, similar to what we were saying to our believers earlier is believe in the gospel. It's calling to mind the good news of Christ. So whether it's someone listening to this on podcast or some of us in this room uh, need to hear this if Christ hasn't saved us or if we need to use this as a reminder to other people as we go to share the gospel is to repent and believe. So as we're, we're, we're wrapping this up here, uh, 
kids. So who do we got in here? So we got, we got John and James, and I'll ask KK afterwards. All right, so uh, I'm going to ask you the question. We'll see if you can remember it. It's, it's a tough one. I'll help you out if you can't. So uh, when can you have joy? Yeah, I thought so. He said, when I'm using Build-A-Blocks. Let's go, come on, yeah. Every day if Jesus changed my heart. Jordan had that one memorized, so it was good. That's, that's catechizing your kids, man. Proud pastor. So for us in this room, as we're asking the question is, why do I lack joy? Believer, as you obey the command to rejoice in Christ, not in your circumstances, your soul is anchored in Christ, and you will no longer lack joy but joy will be birthed in your heart as you remember the Lord is at hand even now. Rejoice, believer. Again, I will say rejoice. Father, thank you that we can rejoice in you this morning. Even when things are difficult and even though when it feels like our life's sometimes falling apart, even though when it feels like sometimes our cries are like that of a child that we can hear even now, we would never say that we perhaps cry in that manner, at least not publicly, but God, you know our hearts that inwardly we cry. Uh, it's why you've given us children so that way we can see that we don't really change inwardly, but we just change outwardly. We hide it better. We act like we have it together. But God, would we be reminded when our hearts feel like we're crying out just like we heard, will we be reminded that you alone are our joy? God, if our eyes are set anywhere else this morning, would you do whatever it takes to remove them and set them fastly on you? So God, we, we come rejoicing that you have saved us that you are the Savior, that you are the Christ, the Messiah. You didn't come just to stay as an infant in a manger, but as we read, there's good news of great joy. It'll be for all people because your gospel is good news, that we were sinful, that you have saved. Not just for eternity, but every single day would we be reasonable in the middle of our circumstances and remember that you have saved and we called to mind actively this week that you are our joy. It's for your beautiful name I pray, amen.